Good morning. Pretty safe to say we'd like to have lives characterized by love and joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. These are the fruit of the Spirit. In times of trial, when there are storms in life, peace is especially relevant and important. How can we experience God's peace in our lives? That's what we're going to talk about this morning. Let's begin by looking at divine peace. There are differences between divine peace and human peace. Um, Divine peace is a fact, and human peace, when we think of it most often, is a feeling. It says, therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. It says we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And when it describes that peace, it's not saying that we feel peace. Peace there is a fact, not a feeling. It's something that happens when you are accepted by God, when you're not judged by him, and there is connection. You might not feel peaceful, but the peace that it describes in this verse is a fact. And most often when we think of human peace, we think of feeling. Um, We might could say, as we become more aware of the fact of vertical peace, that we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, as we become more aware of the fact of peace, it can start to create feelings of peace. We can think about the fact that we are vertically connected, and that can have an impact on the way we feel about our lives. Um, Divine and human peace are different for another reason. Um, Divine peace appeals to faith, and human peace appeals to sight. Uh, look at a couple of verses. It says, peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. And what John is suggesting here is that the peace the world gives and the peace that God gives are not the same. And so there are things happening to the disciples at the time that they don't feel very peaceful. And what he says to them, they have peace, even though they are surrounded by some difficulties. And so what he encourages them, when you think about having God's peace, it helps you not to be troubled, and it helps us not to be as afraid. We're faced by threats, many threats now, economically and physically, knowing that we have peace with God helps us to be a little bit less troubled and fearful of the things that we fall into. James goes on, John, excuse me, goes on to talk about peace. He says, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. And what Jesus promises his disciples is this in the world, they will have trouble. They will deal with difficulties. Um, But he says he has overcome the world. So human peace, when we think of it, 
is most often associated with the absence of difficulties. If I ask you and things are going pretty well, how are you doing? You go, I'm at peace. Yeah, things are going pretty well. Uh, divine peace is characterized by something that we experience when we are in the process of being threatened in some way. Um, divine peace exists within storms. There's a story Jesus talks about from Mark chapter 4. Let me read it and we'll pick out a few things about this situation. Um, On that day when evening had come, Jesus said to them, to his disciples, let us go across to the other side. They were by the shore of the Sea of Galilee in the northern part of Israel. Leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was, and other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose and the waves were breaking into the boat so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we're perishing? And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased. And there was a great calm. He said to them, Why are you so afraid? Do you still, have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? Jesus commands his disciples saying, Let us go across to the other side. Between their departure and the arrival to the other side of this sea, the storm descended. Storms move quickly from the mountains over the Sea of Galilee, and waves were breaking over the bow, and the boat was taking on water naturally. The disciples begin to panic. They were, some of them were fishermen. They understood that in the middle of a storm, in the middle of the Sea of Galilee, that they were in trouble. Um, it says that Jesus was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. Um, Jesus was asleep in the midst of a storm at sea. And if you think of a circumstance like this, this is a picture of peace. If you want a picture of biblical peace, it's not the absence of a storm. It's the ability to be calm in the midst of the storm because of an awareness of who it is that you have peace with. Um, But this is not just an image of peace. This is also a cause for concern. They were upset with Jesus because he didn't share their desperation. Would you agree with me that if you are troubled and agitated, it feels more comfortable when other people around you are troubled and agitated. If if you're concerned about the infection and the, the... The pandemic and others around you are not as concerned. That is a cause for concern. Uh, They were upset with Jesus because his his inactivity is processed as a lack of care. We're in the middle of this very difficult situation and you're asleep on the cushion. And what they inferred from that, you don't care about us. Because if you cared about us, you wouldn't be asleep while we're in the middle of perhaps going down. Um, when we f- face storms, it's natural to call God's 
either care or awareness into question. And it's a very natural question to get. So we're in the middle of something difficult, and our thoughts, when they turn to him, well, are you not aware of what I'm going through? And I have to believe that you're aware because you know everything. And so if you're aware, but you're not, do you not care? Why is it that you're allowing me to experience the things that I'm experiencing? It's very natural to call God's either awareness or care into question when we go through difficult things. When we face storms and learn to experience peace with him, sometimes when we don't react as strongly, it's perceived by others around us as being a sign not of him not caring, but that we don't care. Um, the fact is, fear is a natural response to a threat. We fear and we have a fear response before we can really even control it. Uh, fear is a natural response to a perceived threat. And faith is a supernatural response. Jesus said, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? The reason why Jesus invited them into the boat was that he was going to teach them something about faith, which helps us to understand something. God is going to immerse us in troubling circumstances in order to develop our faith. And in that place, what he says and what we see will be very different. He will say, peace, be still. I am with you. You're in the midst of a difficult thing. I will never leave you or forsake you. I will never cast you adrift. And it has the image there. God if, will tie you to his dock and he will never untie you so that you are caught drifting in the current. When it says God never leaves you, that's what it means. He will never cast you adrift, and he will never leave you behind. When it says God will never forsake you, the image is of being on the field of battle, perhaps being wounded, and having comrades depart. God will never do that. And as we've talked about before, it's the Marines say, uh, Semper Fi. Semper Fi is always faithful. And what it means to a Marine, a Marine will not leave another Marine on the field of battle. They will not leave that person behind and they will go. And that's what God says to you, to us. I will never cast you adrift and I will never leave you behind. Um, God immerses us in troubling circumstances in order to develop our faith. And we're going to talk about, well, how can we develop more peace? But let's notice a few more things about this picture and about the story. It says, and he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, peace, be still. And again, and the wind ceased and there was a great calm. Jesus commands the wind and the waves. And this is something that only God can do. And Jesus is displaying by this that he is God. And their response, it says, and they were filled with great fear and said to one another, who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? The verb fear can be a couple of things. It can be terror or it can be reverence. And in this case, they experience both. They look at the storm and they experience terror because this is threatening. 
They look at Jesus and his ability to calm the sea, and the fear they have is not terror. They're not afraid of him. It's a sense of reverence and awe. Who is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? We are, our faith is developed when what God says and what we see are very different. God might say, he does say, I am with you. I will never cast you adrift and never leave you behind. We look around and things are turbulent and difficult. Um, How can we experience greater peace? We all have challenges, things that we go through. What kind of steps can we take? Paul has some helpful things, and we can break them down into three commands. Present, ponder, and repeat. Present, ponder, and repeat. Let's look at those from Philippians chapter 4. First one, present, it says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your mind in Christ Jesus. What it says, the peace of God which transcends all understanding, will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. Peace, then, when God dispatches it, protects our hearts and our minds. That's kind of good to know. God dispatches his peace to protect our hearts and our minds and to keep them in a position where they can focus on and metabolize divine promises. Without peace, without this peace that God dispatches, our minds are overrun and we are capsized by what ifs and oh no, what if, oh no, what if, oh no. And you know what it's like to be caught in the what if, oh no cycle. It's very difficult to break out of it. And what God says, his peace allows our minds to contend a little bit better with that. This is not a magic cure. It takes time. But as God's peace becomes more known, trusted, as we think about it a little bit more, a little bit more, we tune it in a little bit more. Again, this is not all of a sudden. It's not that the the volume of earthly circumstances is going to get turned down and the volume of God's voice is going to get turned up. It doesn't happen like that. But little by little, you find yourself being more mindful of God's peace and it allows you to tune in his sympathy and sovereignty a little bit more. And as you find you're able to do that, you'll find little by little the volume of loud voices and the scream of what if, oh no, it starts to go down a little bit. It's a really interesting thing. A number of us deal with anxiety. And it feels like you get trapped by it, locked in a room by it. And what ends up happening though, little by, and again, this is slow. Little by little, it starts to dawn on you that the thoughts about God that you're spending time thinking about, they're getting a little bit louder and you feel a little less trapped. It's not that you're 
anxious, but they don't feel this loud. There's, when I think of imagine you being in a locked room. You have no idea how to get out. It's dark. Being in that room would be very frightening. You have no idea how to get out. But when you learn how to unlock the door, it's never quite as terrifying when you don't feel trapped by it. And that seems to be what God's peace gradually provides for us. It's a way to get a little bit of relief as we learn to present our requests. So uh, what I want you to understand, this peace is not a feeling. It's If you think about it, think about UN peacekeeping forces. Do they go around flashing peace signs? No. What they do, they provide a correct a protective perimeter. They are military people whose job is to protect, and that's what the peace of God is like. It puts a protective perimeter around our thoughts, and it doesn't keep anxiety, but little by little, we feel less sabotaged, just little by little, and that's what God's peace does. Uh, God dispatches his divine peace to protect our minds and hearts when we present our request to him. I want you to listen to what I'm saying here. What it says, don't be anxious. To be anxious is like having a divided mind. I want to do this and I want to do that. And what it says, don't be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. You know what God wants you to do? He wants you to tell him what it is that you want. Now, I want you to listen to me very carefully. What he promises is not that you're going to get what you want. What he promises is that his peace will guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. So what it seems to suggest, we present our request to God, and God doesn't promise that we will get what we want. You know what he promises? Gradually, we're going to learn to be able to not get what we want. That's significant, isn't it? The ability to not get what we want and still feel, okay, that's what what we're promised. As we learn to present our request to him, His peace protects our heart. Present is the first thing. And again, we learn to present our request to God. And ponder is the second. Look what it says. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Number one, you present. You don't go to ponder first, you go to present first. But then, after you present your request, what it's indicating now, having told God, God, I'd like this and I'd like that, what he says, ponder whatever is true, honorable, right, pure, lovely. If there's any excellence in anything worthy of praise, let your mind dwell on these things. Some people go to ponder before they go to present and try to use God's word to kind of stuff down speaking. God wants you to express your requests and your thoughts to him. 
He wants you to learn to speak freely with him. He tells you that he understands and he wants you to communicate your needs to him. That's what he says. So he doesn't tell us to use his word kind of to stuff down. You know, you present your request, then you think about whatever is true, honorable, right, pure, lovely. A good thing we just did this. We went through the Ten Commitments. That's a good thing to think about, that God sees you, sympathizes with you. He deals gently with you and he loves you. He changes you. He chooses you. Good is ahead of you. Good's guaranteed. He gives you the power to persevere and the power to be content. Think about things like that. Think about God's commitments to you. Ponder them. Um, Present, ponder, and then the final one is repeat. It says, whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put into practice. Do it. Keep doing it. And the God of peace will be with you. I wish that for me, presenting my request to God were comfortable and easy to do. I don't like to be aware of thoughts that I don't want to think and feelings that I don't want to feel. I'd like for my life to be calm and peaceful. And when I have things in my life that I'm not particularly thrilled about, my natural response is not to ask for help, but it's to, again, we deal with anxiety different ways. What God wants us to learn is to present our requests to him and to continue to do so. This process of learning, being honest, it's challenging. I'm getting better at it, but I have to practice it. it I'm the kind of person that if I'm upset about something, I'll try to change the way I think. I won't try to change my circumstances. I'll try to adapt my thinking so that it meets the circumstances. Some of us are really good if we have anxiety about changing circumstances and changing the world, and I'm going to switch things out here. Oh, that feels better. Some of us don't change the world outside the external world. We change the internal world. So this is what's happening out here, so I need to be okay with that. And so we try to change the way we think about things. Um, what it says, present, ponder, and repeat. Present, ponder, repeat. Continue to do these things. It's interesting. It says that if we present our requests, the peace of God will be with us. If we continue to practice, the God of peace will be with us. Uh, kind of being hemmed in by peace. The ability to experience calm in a storm will grow slowly. Faith is developed in the midst of stormy circumstances, in the context of having to, to, to deal with emotional agitation Jesus understands one of the things that I think we would do very well to tune in, and it's difficult for us, is um, Jesus' sympathy. He says in John 12, Father, my heart is troubled, and what shall I say? When it says Jesus says my heart is troubled, what he's saying is my heart is agitated. It, it's like a storm at sea. And here's what I think that means for us. Uh, Jesus might not know what it's like to deal with the 
specific circumstances that you're experiencing that create emotional agitation. But what Jesus does understand, Jesus understands emotional agitation. And what he tells you, I understand what you feel like. I understand that. I understand what it's like to feel agitated. And the reason why he tells you that he understands is so that you won't be alone in your agitation. Agitation is very isolating. What Jesus wants you to know, he came so that he could be able to sympathize with you. Tune in Jesus' sympathy. He's the Son of God. And tune in the Father's sovereignty. You know what the Father tells you? I will never cast you adrift. And I will never leave you behind. You tune in sympathy and sovereignty, and you know what that helps you to do? Present your requests to him. Well, back in the storm, I want you to know, the reason they were in this storm is not because they disobeyed God, it's because they obeyed him. He said, let's get in the boat and go to the other side. And after they had gone into the boat in obedience to him, that's when the storm hit. Does it occur to you then that the storm that you're in, it's not because you didn't do the will of God, but because you did. Here's the deal. You can be bailing like crazy and be smack dab in the middle of God's will. That's what we see from, from this storm. Um, and I saw this thing, and I think it's true, and I close with this. Um, Sometimes God calms the storm, and he did it, and Jesus did in this occasion with his disciples. But more often than not, he doesn't calm the storm. And then when it goes on, sometimes he lets the storm rage and calms his child. Let me pray for us. Father, we, we have things in our life that we don't want. We do things that we don't want to do. We think things we don't want to think, and we feel things we don't want to feel. It makes us feel anxious, troubled. You would have us understand Jesus as God the Son. You understand what it's like to be agitated. And Father, you tell us that you will never leave us or forsake us, and you tell us that so that we would turn towards you. Consider our needs and present them to you and then ponder the things that you say you'll do the promises that you make and you would have us practice that presenting and pondering thank you for your peace and how it allows us to survive storms in jesus name amen